all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Hope everybody's having a great morning. We'll be taking your calls during the hour concerning any issues or topics that you need answered. That's right. This is the program where you can hopefully get those answers about any health care concerns that you might have. The number to call is one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call this morning, we encourage you to send those questions or comments by email. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We do archive all of our programs, so it takes us about 24 hours or so to get those up and running. You can go to mpbonline.org and search for Southern Remedy to uh, access uh, that information that maybe you came in a little bit late on. I know a lot of people don't get the whole story there. So we do like to uh, provide that for you so that you can uh, get that information. Uh, great weather we're having lately. If you can ignore all the pollen, uh, it's just uh, horrendous right now. If you're suffering with allergies, I'm on full court press with my regimen um, that uh, Dr. DeShazo actually years ago suggested that I do and has uh, worked for me during this time of year. But uh, it certainly is a, a difficult time of year for a lot of people uh, with allergies. May, may, if we have time, we may talk a little bit about that. But first, let's go to our first caller. Let's go to Barbara in Boonville. Good morning, Barbara. Thank you for calling. And what's your question this morning? Um, I'm going to talk about this vaccine. Uh, we've had both vaccines. Uh-huh. And uh, I want to know, uh, I hadn't been around my grandkids. I've been around them, but it's outside. But... Uh, I'm wanting to know if it's safe to be inside with them now uh, and keep them for a little while, maybe day or so or something. Is it safe for me and to be around the crowd at church? And uh, we got the visor, and uh, I have blood pressure problems, and I've got rheumatoid arthritis and arterial fibrillation. Yeah. Yeah, Barbara, that's uh, first congrats um, on getting the vaccine. Uh, It's been an exciting uh, uh, tool that we've had. And we know that, you know, with either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines, you've got anywhere from about a 90 to 95 percent protection uh, from uh, COVID-19. To your specific questions, what can you do now, which is really what everybody's asking, you know, after you get that second vaccine about two weeks after that is the time period um, that you would have, uh, you know, that that protection. I think you do need to still exercise some caution for a couple of reasons that I'll mention in just a minute. 
But, um, you know, I think what has been recommended by the CDC is that you can have what they sort of refer to as bubbles. So a bubble would be a group of people uh, that you can interact with that's a little bit larger than just your immediate household. Um, and you want to keep that as small as you can. But certainly, you know, I, I understand wanting to see your grandkids and your family. I think that's probably fine. The thing about children is, number one, they're not getting vaccinated right now. That's not an option for them, uh, at least less than 16 years of age. Pfizer is, uh, the Pfizer vaccine is uh, indicated now down to 16 years of age, and it's encouraged 16 and up. Um, but making sure that they're not, you know, sick or they don't have any symptoms, if they've had any kind of contacts, that's, that's important. Um, I would, you know, make sure that you encourage them to wear their mask because they could still get the virus and, and pass it on. Uh, so there's not zero risk anymore in getting it, but it's certainly dramatically reduced. And <clears throat> we know that the, both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are, uh, and Johnson and Johnson are effective, uh, in preventing both infection and serious side effects from COVID-19. Um, but it's not because we have other variants out there, for instance, the one that's from the UK, which is circulating in a lot of places uh, in the States and in Mississippi, and then also the South African variant, both of those can be more infectious, so it's easier to transmit that, and they tend to be affecting younger individuals. So um, that's still why, you know, people are asking, well, if we have so many people that are vaccinated, why are we still, you know, why would you still need to wear a mask? It's because that those uh, those other variants are still out there and because of the, it's affecting the younger population in a lot of states. I just saw this out from Michigan yesterday. Um, most of their ICU admissions and hospital admissions are now in the 30-year-old to 40-year-old range when it used to be in this 70 and up. So, Barbara, I, I think it would probably be okay for you to do that. I think going to church would be okay. I would probably advise if you're indoors, particularly with people who aren't in your immediate or extended family, uh, I would wear a mask uh, just to protect you and them uh, for potential, you know, um, um, exposure. Uh, I know that's a bit of a hassle, but I think you probably could still be around people like that. If you're outside or if you're separated from them, there's really uh, relatively low risk unless you're involved in, in sports. We know with younger individuals, too, sports activities are a big uh, area, particularly if they're indoors, again, for, uh, for transmission. So I think you're better protected, and you can start doing some of those things. But if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're with other people going out, I, still, I would still wear a mask to try to protect yourself. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your information. Yes, ma'am. You have a good day. We're going to go to uh, Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'm going to ask you a question. Every time I go outside, I get bitten by a few mosquitoes. And so I haven't heard anything about West Nile virus ever since COVID took over the news, you know. But is that still a concern? You never hear anything about West Nile virus anymore. Yeah, West Nile virus, you, if you'll remember, it came through back in the early 2000s uh, was the first years that it came through Mississippi. I actually had it, had a fairly you know, severe course with it, uh, recovered from that. Um, the reason why we haven't seen as many cases, we still see some cases in Mississippi. 
is again because of and this is one that's totally different than say covid because you do get it from mosquitoes which we have our fair share of mosquitoes here in mississippi um and that hasn't really gone away but so many people develop are we exposed to west nile and didn't have any symptoms that it's thought that there's a, a community immunity to it now um that you know doesn't uh, isn't as serious so it really for the last probably close to eight to ten years there hasn't been as many uh cases of it year to year uh it doesn't mean that you shouldn't you know try to protect yourself uh wear loose fitting clothing that's uh, not going to get you too hot um you know think about the times of the day that mosquitoes are there if there's any standing water even if it's in pots you want to get rid of that because mosquitoes can breed in as little as a you know less than an inch of water in a pot doesn't take much uh, and then, you know, there's mosquito traps that you can get and those kinds of things. You can still get some, some things like West Nile. And there's other uh, mosquito-borne illnesses that are out there. But we just don't see a whole lot of West Nile um, uh, just because of, of sort of the patterns of, of how it moves through the population. And I'm thankful. I don't want it again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Sue. We appreciate your calling. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Got a couple of emails here. And if you, uh, you know, don't think that you have to just email during the, the hour. And a lot of people are like, well, I didn't get my email in. Well, you can email us anytime. If you're up in the middle of the night and uh, a fancy strikes you, you can, you can compose that email right then and there. We probably won't respond in the middle of the night to your email, but we will try to respond as quickly as we can. I uh, got an email here about some of the sort of seasonal things that we've been talking about. It says, once or twice a year, I feel weak for like a day uh, that I'm about to get uh, with symptoms that I feel like I'm about to get the cold or the flu for the next week. I'll have a severe chest congestion to where physical activity is difficult but little drainage or any other respiratory symptoms are there. The only thing that helps is allergy medication. Does this sound like a seasonal allergy or something else? One doctor suggested asthma, but because it happens so rarely, I don't think it, that's right. Uh, so this is a you know common complaint this time of year. Uh, pollen season is in full force. Our spring pollens, which are usually tree pollens, uh, that's both what you see and what you don't see in the air, are really, really high right now. Uh, we're having a lot of weather that's really, you know, allowing them to pump out more pollen. So if things do respond to antihistamines, which, you know, there, there's an overlap of these symptoms. A lot of people say, well, do I have a sinus infection? Do I have other conditions? Maybe something else is going on. Asthma is one of those. But an allergic type reaction to pollen is very common. Now, you can have different symptoms with it. So Certainly the most common things is a runny nose, maybe watery eyes, sneezing, or sometimes even coughing. All those things can be related to an allergy to pollens, and we call those kinds of things allergic rhinitis if it's with the nose, uh, allergic conjunctivitis if it's with the eyes. Now, asthma is in the same type of response as those. It's just a more severe allergic reaction that involves the small airways of the lungs, and these small airways have little bitty tiny bands of muscle around them to help open up or close those airways as they're needed. And in asthma, due to that, um, that allergic or immune response, 
basically those airways, those muscles contract and they can spasm down to the point where they can close off those airways. Some people experience symptoms of wheezing, particularly when they exhale, but sometimes also when they inhale, or they just might have symptoms of a tight chest or difficulty breathing, particularly if they're doing something. You can have that with these other allergic symptoms, and you can develop that at any point in your life. You don't have to be young when you develop asthma symptoms. So just because you're not wheezing doesn't mean you don't have them. Um, I would suggest, particularly for this uh, listener who emailed us, that if the allergy medications are working for you, whether that's an over-the-counter antihistamine that you take by mouth, uh, like Claritin or Zyrtec or uh, Allegra, uh, those are fine, uh, relatively safe with few side effects. Or if you do, like me, if you have sort of a nasal wash um, uh, regimen with a topical nasal steroid, that also is very helpful, particularly if you have nasal symptoms. Uh, but if you're still having that tightness in your chest or difficulty breathing, you may need to see your physician to get some further testing, and they may want you to do something called a pulmonary function test, which is basically you blow into this tube that's connected to a machine that measures how fast that you can breathe in and out air and how much air is moving in and out of your lungs. And based on those measurements and your symptoms, your physician may have diagnosed you with asthma, which you need to treat that a little bit differently. But don't be fooled if these symptoms come on later in life. We know that at any age you can develop this. Um, uh, and particularly, you know, if you have a different uh, location that you move into. So if you moved into Mississippi last year, this is probably your biggest peak of that first uh, allergic response to something like that. So allergies and asthma, they go hand in hand. They're treated similarly, but you don't want to ignore asthma symptoms. You want to get that checked out. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center with you this morning answering your calls and questions or taking any comments that you might have about any healthcare question, maybe it's a medication, maybe it's a new symptom, maybe it's a diagnosis that you don't quite understand. Uh, certainly, we've had tons of uh, COVID-related questions over the weeks and months uh, since COVID hit us. So if you've got some of those lingering around, still a lot of 
good information and misinformation out there on those. You can reach us this morning with those questions or comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And speaking of that, I had an email question about uh, something in the components of some of the vaccines. They said, I have located a National Library of Medicine article that says that metallic nanotech is utilized in the early COVID vaccination research. Was it included in the manufacturer's emergency vaccines that are being utilized currently? Uh, I get this one, uh, not a whole lot, but some, some patients have asked me this about nanotechnology and, and different substances were used in the development of some of the vaccines. So I think there's some misconceptions about the terminology and people use that term nanotechnology or nanotech uh, in lots of different ways. The most broad definition of that is it's very, very small particles. And they don't have to be metallic. They can be uh, made up of different things. Uh, for both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, there's not a metallic particle, uh, a small metallic particle like a lot of people have, have uh, you know, questioned in either the manufacturer or in the actual vaccine itself. There are nanolipid particles, and these are little, small little balls, if you want to think about them that way, made up of fat that's, a, a, you know, just a naturally occurring fat that encapsulates that messenger RNA that then attaches to cells. The RNA tells the cells what to produce, and then it produces the spike proteins uh, for COVID so that the immune system can kick in and uh, develop immunity to that. But as far as metallic uh, nanotechnology, there's not really anything that is in those vaccines. Same thing with Johnson Johnson, although that's a little bit different in the way that it was uh, developed. It's actually a chimeric virus that's uh, combined with uh, part, part of the outside shell of uh, COVID, uh, non-infectious, but it's combined with, a, with an adenovirus uh, so that the body can can recognize it. But uh, I know there's a lot of concern out there. People are like, am I being tracked with this? Not anything in either of those, any of those three vaccines that uh, have any kind of tracking modalities. In fact, both with, um, particularly with Pfizer and Moderna, the actual, what you receive in the vaccine actually goes away very quickly. So it's that's one of the issues with why it has to be stored at a lower temperature and then it only has a, a shelf life of about six to eight hours after that uh, because it degrades so quickly. And within a matter of hours in the body, it's pretty much gone and it's already told the body what to do to produce those proteins. So it's very short lived. That's actually one of the pluses uh, of, uh, of the vaccine. It's not there. You know, it, it gets uh, the viral protein particles made in your own cells so that it can uh, it can do the job of doing that but not really anything metallic uh in that or uh, uh certainly a nano um metallic um substance so that's a again a, a question that floats around the internet quite frequently uh no validity to that about any kind of substances in the vaccines um uh, even if we had that technology it wouldn't be you know, something that they could deliver within the same kind of way. So, uh, but always good to take those questions. I'm, I, this is one of the reasons why we enjoy uh, having those is to try to get the best information, the most accurate information to our listeners. So it's 
very important to do that. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any questions you might have. Go ahead and call right now. We've got plenty of time to address your questions this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Got a, a question uh, two times in the last couple of weeks about some arthritis-type pains that patients have had, and they, uh, they may be taking uh, multiple medications that maybe you can't take some of the usual pain medications. I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of new data and a lot of uh, hesitancy about uh, using opioids to treat chronic, um, chronic joint pains from arthritis, um, uh, particularly if it's a long-term arthritis-type pain. Uh, but there are some other things out there that can be just as useful. A lot of people use over-the-counter Tylenol or ibuprofen. If you can't take those for any reasons, maybe you have some other, uh, as I mentioned, other medical problems that would prevent you from doing that. One of the uh, things that, that I've utilized uh, a lot is to use a topical uh, NSAID, which is similar to uh, ibuprofen, but it's something that you put on the top of your skin, sort of like a cream, uh, one of these is Voltaren Gel, which is now over-the-counter, uh, but those can be very useful in controlling pain. One thing that you want to keep in mind if you do have osteoarthritis is that immobility or not moving around can actually make that pain worse over time and decrease the amount of movement that you have in that joint. Our joints are made to move, and when we stop moving them completely, they basically freeze up. Uh, and it can uh, cause a lot of problems after you do that because it develops a lot of calcium deposits in those uh, muscles and uh, or tendons and ligaments that uh, hold those joints together and limit that movement. So you want to keep moving as much as possible. Um, if you're having uh, you know long-term problems, physical therapy can often help with both mobility and decreased pain and getting the muscle groups around those joints to work properly. Uh, and actually can sort of train you to do things properly. I know, you know if you think about it, having a personal trainer sometimes, particularly if you're an athlete, that can give you some feedback on some minor things about technique that you're doing that which would make you a better athlete uh, for a longer period of time and keep you healthy. Physical therapy is the same way. You know, If you think about it, a lot of people are like, I don't want to go back to physical therapy or go to them at all. I don't really think that that can really do anything. Um, you know, we have similar things that happen for Olympic athletes uh, every year uh, that they go through. So just think of yourself like an Olympic athlete when you're going to uh, physical therapy. Uh, the best physical therapists, of course, are going to, uh, you're probably not going to like them while you're there. But after you go through it uh, on the back end of it, almost always people are uh, very appreciative of what they do. Uh, and it's one of those, those team type uh, situations that really can help you. So. If you have osteoarthritis, there are some things that you can do that don't involve uh, taking medication. There's other long-term medications that aren't uh, that don't have the addiction potential or abuse potential that some of the opioids do. Um, they can help with chronic pain. They can help with sleep at night. Uh, so there's a lot of those out there. So ask your physician about that. And uh, in addition to all those things, uh, pain management is a great um, is a great modality. So if you uh, ask to see a pain specialist, so these are individuals that have some extra training to treat chronic and acute pain, uh, there's lots of things that they can do. 
they might can do some minor uh, injections into different joints or around joints to help out with that long term. So just a couple of things to keep in mind for osteoarthritis that you can do uh, in conjunction with your physician or your healthcare professional to try to decrease those symptoms and get you moving because that's important. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey, what about stress and its involvement in modulating different things? So oftentimes we'll have patients come in with hypertension, diabetes, and they've been stressed out. You know, everybody knows we've had increased stressors for the last, uh, well, over the past year. So what does that do to our health? Well, it's not too surprising that it can make those issues worse. And lots of different factors with this. But even if you factor out less activity, uh, maybe a little bit poor diet and eating practices, or, um, you know, uh, if you just had, you know, a lot of, of limitations about what you can do, uh, stress in and of itself can certainly raise blood pressure or blood pressure uh, in stressful situations, it's not uncommon for it to to be higher. In some people, you're a little bit more predisposed to do that, particularly if you have a condition called white coat hypertension. That's basically when you're around uh, medical facilities, medical buildings, your blood pressure is higher there, but at home it's normal. That's an exaggerated stress response to uh, to uh, from a blood pressure standpoint. So uh, in those cases, chronic stress can certainly raise blood pressure and make it unmanageable or not controlled in ways that it was prior. I have a lot of patients that came in and say, you know, I've had lots of uh, death in the family. I've had lots of stressors. Their blood pressure will be uncontrolled. And you may not, your physician may not choose to change your blood pressure regimen. They may choose to address the stress in your life in different ways uh, to see if that can be modulated. The other thing is with diabetes is the same way. You wouldn't normally think that your blood sugar could go up with stress, but it does. Uh, if you ask any emergency medicine physician or an ICU physician about stressors on the body and blood sugar, um, any time that you have a stressor and you come in and you get your blood sugar checked, even in normal individuals who don't have diabetes, you can see a, a blood sugar rise just from that stressor. So, again, prolonged stress. If you have type 2 or type 1 diabetes, can certainly impact your blood sugar. And, you know, again, you may, similar to, uh, to hypertension, you may have to uh, change your medications around just a tad bit during those episodes. But really looking at the stressors in your life can be very useful. Uh, I kid around with people uh, all the time. You know, one of, my, one of my regimens in my back pocket for patients who I suspect have stress-induced hypertension is to treat that stress with uh, medications, with uh, psycho- psychological uh, counseling, uh, and uh, different ways to try to address that. So let's keep that in mind, and you don't be surprised if your physician says, you know what, to get your blood sugar down, I think we need to start you on a medication for, for your anxiety. So that is a thing. Um, your doctor's not crazy when they say that. <laughs> I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls and questions and talking about lots of things. Uh, hypertension, a little bit of diabetes, a little bit of COVID questions, too. Certainly reading out some emails that listeners have sent in. If you have a question today, you can call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We'll try to get you the answers that you need or point you in the right direction. Let's go to Sadie from Osaka. Good morning, Sadie. Thank you for calling. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Good. What's your question this morning? My question is, I had uh, COVID back in September, and I want to know if I need to take the vaccine also. Yeah, great question. Um, That's one that I've heard a lot from my patients who've unfortunately had COVID. So even though you may still have some immunity, it is recommended to get that because it can sort of, it can boost your immunity. Um, We know that if you have had COVID, um, most people, but not all, will have some form of immunity to it, um, to that same strain that they had for about six to eight months. After that time, uh, we feel like there is a chance, um, based on what we've seen, that you could get COVID again. The, now, the flip side of that right now is some of these new variants, like the B1117 variant from the UK. Uh, the South African variant, there's a P1 variant from Brazil. These are occurring uh, in patients who've had COVID previously. So you can, you can get reinfected with those. And fortunately, the vaccines do protect against that. So it is recommended that even if you've had COVID, that you get vaccinated uh, for it because the immunity part is going to be boosted a little bit. Uh, to get you the, the the most protection from getting reinfected, particularly from those other variants. Well, that was one of my questions about, uh, about the new strains. I thought, well, I'll wait a little while and maybe they'll come out with a vaccine that covers those new strains. Yeah, the ones the ones that we have right now are effective in preventing infection with those new strains. So, thankfully, that's that's protective and. Really, if you think about it, it's because of the, the, although those new strains, they have differences that make them more infectious and uh, affect different age groups of people, um, like the B1117 affecting younger people um, uh, more. They tend to be more, you know, more sick than they would have been uh, with the original well, 
I'm way up there on the because I'm 88 and I have a lot of things that 88 year old people have. (laughs) So uh, that's one of the reasons why I needed that question answered. Yeah, I would. If you were my patient or my mom, I would say you need it. I, I would. I'd say you need that extra protection. Uh, and and like I said, fortunately, we know that uh, at least to these strains that are out right now, uh, these these three vaccines, both the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson, do seem to be protective against those. Well, I was very fortunate in that I did not have a severe case of COVID. Uh, I, it was more like a mild influenza, but they tested me and I tested positive, so we're sure that I had it. Right. But right. Uh, the only problem I had afterwards was getting my strength back. It took about yeah. three weeks for me to feel back to normal. Uh, yeah, other we, than we, that, I really wasn't very sick. Right. Yeah, and that's. But, uh, thank you for answering that question because I had had asked a, a physician about it, and he had said that he didn't think I needed to take the vaccine. Yeah, it's. So I, I would. I, I wanted would recommend another it. opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for what it's worth. That's my opinion uh, based on the science and the data, and uh, particularly for those new variants and protecting you. I, I would. I would get it. Well, thank you very much. I hope you have a blessed day, and uh, you're doing a lot of good answering those questions out there. Oh, thank you, Sadie. I I appreciate that. You take care. This is uh, Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, answering your questions and comments about uh, any kind of health care question. I know we, uh, you know, for the last year have dealt a lot with COVID, and we want to do that because that's what's on everybody's mind. But certainly a lot of other health care issues that are there um, that people are asking about. Um, you know, uh, people uh, also are asking a, a lot about regular vaccinations. Um, you know, with our kids that are coming in now, um, fortunately, we, we really push to not have lapses. One of the fears, particularly for pediatricians, um, was that we would have uh, a decrease in the, the routine vaccinations that we do uh, and that we would have a resurgence of some of those um, some of those childhood illnesses that we've been so successful in treating. I think most pediatricians figured out how to do that, how to keep those kids vaccinated. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, is it going to hurt if my child is exposed to COVID with these other vaccinations? Not really any evidence to suggest that in what we've seen, and certainly we've got a lot more, a lot more uh, observed data uh, during the last year and a little bit more than a year to uh, to say that. But um, if you have any kind of concerns about that, you know, just call your doctor. I'm sure that can give you the information. But we really haven't seen that that is a is a concern. And again, a lot of people are saying, well, when are we going to have this for kids? If kids can still get it and they're transmitting it, and, um, and we have much more, uh, uh, we have these strains that can be transmitted a little bit easier. Um, there's a lot of research into that. Um, the Pfizer vaccine has been tested now down to age 12, uh, and I feel pretty certain we're probably going to see that age uh, range maybe even as low as, as first grade um, to sort of open up within the next six months as soon as we get enough safety data to uh, to uh, to look at that, but uh, 
Right now, 16 is the earliest that you can get that. Um, and that's, again, with Pfizer, Moderna. Uh, you have to be over age 17 to, uh, to get it. Johnson & Johnson, the same. Now, those are two that are more uh, been tested more in adults. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, everybody at this point, we really need to shoot for that 70 to 80 percent mark. Uh, and again, if you're still worried about uh, side effects, potential side effects, those three vaccines that are available in the U.S., uh, those have been very safe. Uh, people do have some side effects. I did have some. They were relatively mild and only lasted a day, uh, sort of flu-like symptoms. Uh, no long-term side effects that I had with it. Um, and for the most part, everybody's doing well. The um, uh, side effects that you've seen with AstraZeneca with clotting disorders, that vaccine is not available in the U.S., so we don't have to really worry about it. But, uh, you know, if you're just curious about it, they're really looking at that in a lot more detail to see if those uh, few cases that they've seen of some clotting with that, if that has been associated with the vaccine or if that was just a coincidence in those people. So, again, that, that vaccine is not available here in the United States. The three that we have, Moderna, Pfizer, and uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, have very good safety profiles and are extremely effective, uh, it, it, especially the Moderna and, uh, and Pfizer vaccines. They really uh, give a, a really good immunity to uh, to the virus and uh, can help us uh, do what we've been doing is try to get those numbers down as much as possible. Um, you know, people all uh, do ask me too, well, since the numbers are down, why can't we go back to doing things uh, unmasked and uh, in the way that we were doing it? Why are you still in a wearing a mask, Dr. Jimmy? And uh, my answer to them is, well, you know, if we look at the patterns that have happened in the last uh, last year or so, most of the spikes that we've had have followed about three to four weeks after they've had spikes in Europe, uh, both in individual countries and across the whole region. So with those spikes that they've had uh, in Europe, uh, and because this is a global pandemic and affects everywhere uh, because of the uh, horrendous number of cases in Brazil, we really have to protect ourselves, particularly from other strains that might... Um, that, that might uh, pop up from time to time. So uh, a little bit more vigilance with that. Certainly there's been a lessening of some of those uh, uh, rules and regulations that have been suggested. Um, but I would still, you know, if you see me in a store, I'm going to have a mask on. Uh, you know, if you see me uh, around other people, uh, I'm going to have a mask on. So I'm still going to do that to help protect everybody, even though I'm fully vaccinated. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering uh, your calls and questions about all kinds of different things. Uh, great questions. We always get those from our listeners. Uh, and of course, uh, great emails as well. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Warren, who is on the road. Good morning, Warren. What's your question this morning? Yeah, I wanted to know if uh, Moderna or Pfizer or any of the companies would have a developed a vaccine that can be taken orally or through an inhaler just to the same uh, protection as uh, injecting into the muscle? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so it certainly would be a lot easier to distribute if we had an oral vaccine like that. Um, there are a lot of problems with that just in the way that the immune system works. Uh, you mentioned an inhaled one, too. There's been research in uh, in the past with different both viruses and bacteria to try to do that. One of the older ones, uh, if you've been around long enough, you may remember the oral polio vaccine, which was sort of a little sugar uh, cube that they used to give. Um, yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm 69, so I do yeah, remember that. Yeah. So, and that was a good vaccination route. Uh, you know, polio, that's one of the ways that um, the body sort of, if you can mimic sort of the entry way that a uh, a virus or a bacteria would have, a lot of times that's a good strategy to develop immunity with it. The problem mm-hmm. with the reason why we don't do that anymore, we actually do injectable for the polio vaccine, is because that it was a weakened virus with the with the oral uh, version of it, um, and a, a, a very small amount of people, but some people did develop polio from that. Um, and with the injectable one, it's a killed viral, viral vaccine, and it doesn't have that risk. There is one that's routinely given now, uh, the Rotatec virus, so it's a, against rotavirus, which is one of the most common causes of diarrhea and can cause a lot of problems in infants. So that is a liquid that's given. Um, as far as a pill, we really don't have a pill vaccine that I'm aware of, uh, that would work. And, and again, a lot of the problems with that is it gets broken down in the stomach. Um, any of these types of vaccines, uh, all three of them that we have here, you know, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson Johnson, that would be broken down very, very quickly. Uh, it wouldn't work in the same kind of way, particularly the, the messenger RNA virus, uh, viral vaccines um, would not work unless you injected it uh, into the muscle. Uh, and, you know, by the way, there's different, there's different uh, you know, delivery methods. Mostly intramuscular is the best one because it's, it has sort of a slow release from that muscle tissue uh, over time. So you don't inject it directly into a vein or, uh, or anything like that or underneath the skin. But uh, most of it has to do with the way that the immune system really recognizes different things and getting what it needs to recognize directly to it. Um, is sometimes, you know, our bodies are great. Our, our innate immunity, which is your skin, which is a normal coating that keeps things out, or the uh, mucosal lining of your GI tract, or the, the pH, the low pH, the acidic environment of the stomach. These are all designed not just to break down foods, but it's designed to keep bad things out uh, of the interior of the body. And 
ironically, that's what you want to do is to get something that looks like that to try to train your immune system to see it, recognize it, and then when you get exposed in the future to deal with it appropriately. Um, if you're, you know, if you just swallow it, it may not have a chance to do that because of that other immunity. You wouldn't get a big enough dose to do that. Now, there are a, a couple of, I've seen in the past, some, some uh, trials using inhaled uh, methods because the lungs are a very good mechanism to get things into the body. Again, it's a lot of variability with that, though, and there can be some hyperreactivity reactions. In other words, we were talking about asthma earlier. People can have some bad uh, allergic-type spas- spastic reactions to that sometimes just because of the, you know, if it's uh, sort of irritable. So... Right now, that's the best method of getting most vaccines is an intramuscular route. Um, but there is a lot of interest in developing other ones. It sure, sure would be a lot easier, though. I'm with you, Warren. If we just had a pill to take, that'd be easy. Okay. I, want to, I have another question. You know, I get the flu vaccine every year. Do you have any opinion or have you spoke to any associates on what your opinion is on how long you think a COVID vaccine will last? Yeah, that is the question people are asking a lot. Is like, how long is this going to last? Is this going to be something that's more like a flu vaccine that we get every year, or is it going to change based on the variants that are out there? And the, you know, will the virus develop resistance over time to this because of changes in it? And we really don't know any of those questions definitively. What we do know right now is it seems to be protective for at least eight months. Uh, so in people who, who received it, um, uh, it's been good for at least eight months. And um, the best thing we can do is to continue to follow those individuals and see, particularly those people who have been exposed to COVID. Um, healthcare workers like myself uh, are probably one of the better ones. So we get exposed a little bit more than other people just because of our jobs so that's where a lot of the data comes from is, is it seems to be at least protected for eight months. We don't know. Hopefully it'll be longer than that. But if we start to see it waning and, you know, if more people are getting infected who were vaccinated at that point, then they would probably recommend sort of a booster that may be, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. If it was like a year, you might have it a year. But I don't know. I'm hoping that it would be longer than that. But we'll see. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Warren, for calling, and uh, and I appreciate everybody's uh, taking the time to call. It's been uh, it really it encourages me to hear all these calls and great questions about all kinds of different healthcare uh, topics. And again, this program and other programs on Southern Remedy uh, uh, throughout the week on MPB Think Radio. Really, that's our job is to provide you with the best information to listen to you to answer your questions that you might have, not just about yourself or your health care needs, but others around you. And uh, I always want to encourage you to do that. If you have time to call in uh, with a question, please take the time to do that. If, you, uh, if we run out of time in a program or if you think about something when we're not here, do email us because I'd love to read those, to answer those. Um, we, uh, if you give us permission, we can certainly uh, share that with other people We uh, on the air, as I mentioned Earlier, it's uh, you may think that you're the only person with that question, but actually a lot of people out there probably have the same kind of question. It can help them out, too. So I always want to encourage people to do that. This is a great time, if you haven't, to check in with your physician or your doctor and say, hey, 
what kind of things, normal healthcare things to help prevent things can I do right now? Uh, if you've got a chronic illness, don't put off going back to see your physician, particularly if you're vaccinated now. Uh, now's the time to start to uh, get back in the swing of things for doing that. If you have other preventive things like uh, a lot of suspicious places on your skin that you need to get checked out by a dermatologist, uh, or if you have a colonoscopy that needs to be done, uh, hey, go ahead and get that done. Right now is probably the time to do that. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people have been waiting because they didn't want to get exposed to different things, but uh, the way things are looking right now, this is an excellent time to do that. Dental uh, work, too, and dental cleaning, that certainly ties in with not just your oral health, but with your entire body's health. So those are all things you should be thinking about and, uh, and reaching out to your physician. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.